podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host Danny and with me as always is my co-host Nick. Hello everyone. Thank you for joining us today for another conversation about some of our favorite films. Please give us a follow at Kinotomic on Twitter and drop us a line at kinotomic at gmail.com. So today we'll be talking about your w's yeah i mean this 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 will be forever be known as the podcast where nick uh snuck a football film onto the podcast um yeah um <laughs> this, this is what i get when I, I say yes without thinking so yeah we'll get onto that a bit later <laughs> so for, uh, nick what films have you been watching um so i i like everybody else in in film twitter land that doesn't live in the united states I've been patient, waiting patiently to see the Green Knight, um, and because of that, like I've been, I've been thinking about. Oh, I haven't actually seen any of David Lowry's films, so I'm started going through his work, um, and I've watched uh, Ain't Them Body Saints, which stars uh, Rooney Mara and uh, Casey Affleck, um, which is kind of the best way to describe it is if what if Bonnie and Clyde was done by Terrence Malick. But then I thought Terence Malick already did that with Badlands, so I think this is—it's more of a—I don't know, like it—it just—it's a—it—it's kind of like what if latter day Terence Malick did Bonnie and Clyde, um, if that makes any sense. Um, it's the yeah, the Body Saints really, really hit me hard. It's a it's a fantastic, fantastic film. Um, so much so that I've kind of had to take a break from watching the David Lowry stuff because, from what I can tell, his other work does has the same effect, and that kind of it kind of took a lot out of me watching that. So I went did a hard one eighty and watched a couple of horror films. Um, so the first one I watched was uh, the new British horror film called uh, Censor um, from Welsh director uh, I need to get her name right because it's Welsh uh, Prono Bailey Bond um, starring <laughs> Niam Algar I think her name is um, I think it's Neem and basic Neem is it, is it... Okay. Have you heard, no have you heard... I have not heard of any of the films they've just mentioned but I think yeah. is it an Irish name uh, probably, yeah. Is it I think so. N-I-A-M-H? Yeah, I yes. think it's pronounced Neve. Don't ask me why. Neve. Uh, okay, no, no, that's fine. I, I, your pronunciation on things has much been better than, much better than mine, anyway. Um, so, Sensor, uh, first-time feature, it's a first-time feature film from Prano Bailey Bond. Um, it takes place in the 80s during the whole Video Nasties era, um, the main character is this woman called uh, Enid, who's a film censor, and where she, you know, she's very meticulous about censoring, you know, the film nasty stuff. Do you know all about that? The film nasties. No. Video video nasties. So in the eighties, there was a a, a big um, thing where uh, like horror films were banned, 
um, pretty much some of them were made illegal to be sold in video stores. Um, because they were going like super so, duper scary and realistic, or no, no, super. No, not not so necessarily realistic, but just gory. Mm. So stuff like um, Alba Ferreira's The Driller Killer, or uh, Cannibal. I think Cannibal. I've heard of Cannibal Holocaust, and I remember reading that it went like the director was kind of torturing the actors on set. Yeah, he also kills a pig on screen as well. Yeah. So that's video uh, nasty. Okay, got it. Got it. Yeah, that yeah. Um and then the other films kinda of got lumped in with it. So like Sam Raimi's Evil Dead got lumped in with it. Mm. Um which doesn't make any sense because the Evil Dead and Driller Killer are I mean you can't they're they're totally different. Um so yeah, no the, the kinda of, so basically what happened was was that and like all these films got banned. Um so basically Censor is is this film censor called Enid and she's basically responsible for, you know, editing out these films to make sure they pass and or banning these films um set during the height of the the video nasties um kind of <laughs> response in in britain at the time um and she goes a bit she she's she basically watches this one film and it kind of triggers something in her to do with her the disappearance of her sister when she was a kid um and that's kind of yeah i mean it is is a very very, very. I mean, as as deeper futures go, I mean, this is extremely strong. Uh, Mark Kermode rated it five stars, mm. um, which is a high recommendation from him. He, yeah, uh, for me, I mean, he likes horror, doesn't he? I, I really, really, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I think I saw the yeah, poster no, sense of, sense of... Um, or an ad or. Well, you would do it. if you if you end up going to the BFI quite yeah. a lot. I mean, it, it's been it's playing there. It's playing there. I know that for sure because it's you know a British it's a British film, um, and it's it's had quite a lot quite a lot of uh, good response from from kind of the British film critics, if that makes any sense. Um, and then so I was thinking, you know, Sensor. I watched Sensor, and it's really really good. And I thought oh, I'm kind of in this mood for carrying on with the horror films. And um, I really want to go see the new Candyman from from director Neo Da Costa. I was gonna, um, but the thing is, go I go see it too. But I don't know anything about the story. Is there a, is there a previous Candyman? Yeah. So need. So yeah, no. This is what I was gonna say. So I I know about the nineteen ninety two Candyman, because the original film Candyman, from nineteen ninety two, directed by Bernard Rose, um, starring uh, Virginia Mad- Madsen and, and Tony Todd. Now, I know about the you know the the story of Candyman, like the, the the idea behind it where you say his name five times in a mirror and he appears behind you and, and you know kills you um but i only know that because of like you know references and other popular culture the one i can think of off the top of my head is in south park where there's the ghost of biggie smalls and they say biggie smalls three times in the in the mirror and he appears behind the kids um, and he's trying desperately to get to Satan's Halloween party, and he keep, he keeps getting dragged away. Um, but with Candyman, the Night Night Two film, I I was really quite I don't know amazed that it wasn't the film I was expecting it to be. I was expecting it to be kind of like a Nightmare on Elm Street kind of Friday the Thirteenth mm. slasher, but it really isn't that. Um, it's much more. It's, it has a lot more to say in terms of. Um, gentrification and um, racism 
Um, and apparently the new film, because it's uh, executive produced and um, I think the, the script is co-written by Jordan Peele. So it has that kind of... Um, okay. Reading to it as well. So the new the new film is out, or you know, is out now. Um, it's got some really good. It's got some good reviews. Um, I'm looking forward to watching it when I get around to seeing it. Um, but I do recommend to watch. I do recommend watching the original Candyman. Um, I do recommend it. It's only you know it's it's you know it's only a hundred minutes. You know it's not like an extremely long horror film. Um, it has its moments. Like if you don't like gore, but it's very very effective. Um, very effective movie and has quite a, a, a quite a really really good ending as well. So yeah, I really recommend that. Cool. Um, and that's kind of it. I um, and then you know watching the films for the for the pod. Um, going on Friday to go and see the new Marvel movie because of course I What's am. What's the new Marvel um, movie? Shang Chi and the Legend. Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I don't know. So that's um. From what I um from it it's good basically you remember how the the response was for for Black Panther where it was such a big deal yeah. for you know African American uh, audiences this is basically the same thing but for Asian American audiences you know it's their okay. first big hmm. you know action hero you know blockbuster tentpole movie with an Asian American star and an Asian American cast and it also stars um. Uh, one of the greatest actors of our current times, Tony Leung. Um, yes. Who you would know from In yes. the Mood for Love. He's great. He is in a Marvel he's movie. He's amazing. So, yeah. He's amazing. He's incredible. I, I mean, he's incredible. He's an incredible actor, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him as the man. Yes. Um, I might actually watch it just so, yeah. because I like him. He's great. Um, That's how they get mm. you. That's how they get you. <laughs> what, have you, what have you been up to? Well, I went to the cinema on Thursday and rounded up nicely the Betty Davis season at the BFI. So I watched Betty's last full feature film called The Whales of August. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. It's not a great film. It's Not much happens in the film. But all you need to know is that you have... Betty Davis, you have Lillian Gish, you have Vincent Price, and uh, was it um, uh, Anne Southern? Um, and well, they're all very, very old, but they're off a coast. They're on like an island off the coast of Maine, and it's really, really great. It's directed by Lindsay Anderson, nineteen eighty-seven. And I really enjoyed it. It's very charming, very, very, like, because in the film, Betty Davis was, um, plays a blind woman. And it's all about reminiscing and it's all about family and, and sisterly sort of love and, and getting to prepare for the, like, last stage in your life. And Betty Davis had, at that point, I believe, had had two strokes. So she's very, 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 very tiny. So she's like a shadow of her former self, so to speak. But she can still see the the, the strength in her, and it's it's incredible to watch. Um, I I I do think that there were there wasn't any room for anything to happen, but to see her light the light the screen, even when she's like eighty something. 
so yeah that was that was good i managed finally to see molly's game i don't know why oh, i don't know right. why I, I kept so long before watching it because i'm a big jessica chastain fa- fan I, I quite like her and i think it was on netflix and i what i was like okay let's just sit down and watch it and it was really good i really enjoyed it um yeah she's she's you know, very good in it i didn't expect to see kevin costner in it i thought a few scenes he was in was were quite good um quite interesting story um of course i checked all the facts because it's based on, on on real facts and apparently most of the stuff was yeah. quite true not all of it but most of it mm. so yeah my, my i know michael's michael because i reviewed it for the film website i was doing uh, way back when when it came out and um i know that michael sarah is kind of like a composite character based on um toby Maguire, leonardo dicaprio and ben affleck apparently he's supposed um, to be toby Maguire. Because yeah, apparently like, Tobey Maguire was a bit of yeah, a, a like a nasty yeah. person, to likes to yeah I mean the yeah Tobey Maguire and Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Lucas Haas, and there was somebody else as well his name I can't remember were part of a group. Um, uh, you can find the details on the on the internet, and it's quite insane the stuff that they used to get up to in the nineties. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, um, yeah, well, it's enjoyable, and you have, I think it was written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, and he's he knows how to do things. Yeah, I think you. It's his first feature film, it's his director's yeah, debut. Yeah, um, but I mean, because uh, he was re- writing the stuff as well, and he's, I mean, he's much n- better known as, as a writer, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember writing in my review that you know, I thought as a director, Dave, you know, as a director, debut, it was it was good. Um, but the the thing with good Aaron Sorkin films is they usually have a, a, a an eye, a directorial eye that is kind of much more experienced and is able to kind of pull off the like the filmmake you know the writing in, in a filmmaking sense. You think about like Social yeah. Network or Moneyball or even Steve Jobs. As much as I don't like, um, uh, what's his face? Michael. <sighs> Danny Boyle. Oh. Um. So yeah. Yeah. That was um, yeah. It, it was. It's all right. It's all right. It's a good. It's a good film. Yes, and I watched. Um, I actually fell a bit fell down the rabbit hole with um Jane Fonda to be fair and Henry Fonda for that matter. <laughs> um, I yeah. I managed to read um Jane Fonda's autobiography narrated by Jane Fonda, so it was quite an quite an enjoyable experience on audible and i was looking through her um like early filmography and i found this really gem of a movie it's not great film but it was the cast was incredible and i just watched it for the cast because you've got barbara stanwick in it and jane fonda who is very young and you've got Anne baxter from um all about eve in it as well and it was quite quite fascinating it's called walk on the wild side um and it's set in new orleans and it was quite an enjoyable film and i also watched a the only collaboration between harry fonda and alfred hitchcock the wrong man and it reminded me why i enjoy hitchcock's work so much 
so yeah that's kind of what i've been up to awesome awesome I mean, you you want to you're probably going to just keep going with the jane fonda yeah binge a um bit. yeah i just i love that woman so much and i've been watching reruns of grace and frankie because there's no more episodes yet i think next batch of episodes are in the pipeline and there will be the last batch of episodes ever so i'm quite um sad about that um but um yeah i was uh i i really like her and yeah grace and frank it's just really well written and really good story about women who are not in their 30s or 40s or even 50s so it's 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 important to have these stories about older women i think yeah and it's it's a great outlet so it's a great way to sort of see how people can age gracefully and still find friendships in in the later years a bit like um golden girls but yeah kind of like golden girls but more contemporary so yeah i'm gonna keep doing I, I think i might change to try out some jane fonda workouts later <laughs> <laughs> your, your ebay search history is going to be jane fonda workout vhs who has vhs's anymore <laughs> i actually found out that um jane fonda and her workout videos basically kick-started the vhs industry because nobody would buy vhs cassettes because they wouldn't want to watch the film twice but because of the video of because of the workout they wanted to do it over and over and over again and it came out right in the, in like 81 so it was just then when it all kind of started up yeah anyway um shall we move on to our um main focus of today yes yes cool should we get started with our first film on our list um 1957's the bridge on the river kwai directed by david lean probably heard of him and here's a quick synopsis british pow's are forced to build build a railway bridge across the river kwai for their Japanese captors, not knowing that the Allied forces are planning to destroy it. So, how did you find the film, Nick? So, with this is, I think this is a film that I probably saw when I was a kid. Um, I I remember seeing certain things before, but you know, it's it's kind of like a, like a general feeling around the film um so i'm just going to preface by by saying that this film is it is it is fucking great it's a great film it's a great movie uh, there's no disputing that um i think that david lean um you know the, the, so at the end like you know this is shout of madness and and madness is kind of called you know at the end after this explosion and i think like David Lean is is kind of wanting to, I don't know, almost like decry the British aristocracy and kind of armed forces without them knowing about it. Um, I think 
I think with 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 his with his you know I, with his masterpiece that came five years later, Lawrence of Arabia. I think Lawrence of Arabia was like a person that was, you know, he was he was driven to insanity in the quest for conquering the land and in in himself, you know, maybe not insanity, but he was he was very you know he's on there's you know that famous look he gives when he's you know after the train raid, uh, you know after he shoots the man and it's you know it was an incredible performance and i think with with nicholson alec guinness kind of shows like that kind of driven that kind of drive to to madness and i think in 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 nicholson's own quest for you know upholding the values he holds kind of you know he holds himself to um i think lean's filmmaking is you know is is very is very kind of at times it's like very grand as you would kind of expect from you know his epics um and then there are other times where it kind of comes across as a bit kind of functional um i feel like the sequences with shears are i think they're almost uh, the ones especially the ones that take place in, in sri lanka are, are, are functional they are like they are there to be to just to advance the plot if that makes any sense um and i think you know the ones you know at the camp and on the bridge and around the bridge you know they are the ones that and in the jungle they are the ones that are kind of this this ep you know the, the stuff that's david lean doing his epic thing um and because because this film came out before Lance arabia i i just ended up kind of looking for similarities you know so there was a con con continuation of, of style and form and it really does come across as like this dry run for Lance of Arabia, almost as though Bridge Over the Rukwai is is. I'm not saying it's the lesser film of the two. I'm just, you know, it just feels as though you know he did Bridge Over the Rukwai and went, I can go one step further with the next film. You know, you know maybe Lean, you know, is having his protagonist as complex as Nicholson, but he kind of, uh, you know, in his in his flawed, he has all his flaws, and then you have the um the shears is like the second lead as it well to kind of balance that out you know he is he has his own kind of you know arc and you know he redeems himself at the end and i think you know it's almost lean going well i've done that i've had the counterpoint with you know nicholson and shears together i'm just going to next time just do the one character the one lead next time with lawrence um it's it does sound as though i'm kind of picking apart picking up a, a near perfect film um but i i just kind of feel a bit, a bit too easy to just say classic and move on um i think the film is is kind of anti-colonialist um in the kind of the, the slyest possible way i think him and guinness knowing that the film was was going to end up having an interpretation um you know, of yeah. being, oh, look how great the British Armed Forces are, without actually thinking, oh, hang on a minute, there's something else there. Yeah, I was wondering you know, if you'd pick up on that. Yeah. I think everything, everything that takes place at the camp and on the bridge is incredible. Um, and it all, it all kind of culminates in this, in this, in the ama in an amazing final climatic um, set piece at the end. 
Um, just kind of like I said, like Bridge on the River Kwai, just it just I know honestly just just does feel like a dry run for for Arabia, and and I think both in terms of kind of focus, you know, pacing, character, and scope. No, I personally I enjoy this more than Lawrence of Arabia. Interesting. Yeah, I felt I think Lawrence of Arabia is slightly longer, if possible. It is, yeah, it is, it is longer. <laughs> and I just felt. Like, there has to be an end to this. And there wasn't. <laughs> there was an intermission. I remember being an intermission. I'm like, oh my god, there's an intermission. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I don't know. I just... This would... I felt more dynamic for me. Um. I felt more interested in the story of all the POWs. Maybe I should give Lawrence of Arabia another, another watch. So I've only seen it once. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I think bet- between the, I think between the two, like you know, French Other requires the much more conventional. You know, it's a much more conventional narrative, it, conventional characters almost. Um, you know, especially with Shears. Um, but it has this, you know, this undercurrent, this anti-colonialist undercurrent underneath it, um, which is kind of much more explicit in Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, I um, think that's why I prefer this one because I thought this one was a bit more subtle when it when it because it makes you think a bit more like okay, so you have this incredible will, but will to do what? To do good or to do bad? Yeah. Yeah. I you know? And you know, I feel, I feel like Lawrence of Arabia was a bit more like black and white and less of a gray area and this was more of a gray area i think i i see i see lawrence of arabia more as an introspection into you know th lawrence as a character rather than the what goes on around it if that makes any sense um whereas this is kind of like both of those things it is more it is focusing on what's going on around you know the bridge and the, and the camp, and then also, you know, looking at Nicholson as a character. Um, I think you know the the whole. What's it? The officers don't do manual labor thing. You know, it was like, and then they all celebrate when he gets out, and I'm thinking, really? Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't, but I don't, I, I don't really believe that for a bit. Like, you know, all these, you know, the. People that aren't officers would celebrate the fact that these people don't have to do work. It doesn't. That doesn't strike. But it me was. As... A, it was more to do with the, the will, and like it was the battle of the wills. Really, it wasn't much to do. Yeah. With what they did. It. It was about the idea, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, that's why it's a bit anti-colonialism because it just goes to say how silly. Not silly, but like. Why are you fighting for this? This is just do the work, and because in the end they end up doing the work anyway. Yeah. So you have this yeah. like he was there was madness in 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 his attitude. Um, but I yeah I think, and I think the the reason I like this a bit more than Lawrence of Arabia is, I. First time I saw this film, I was on the on the back of having seen Alec Guinness in, in some Ealing comedies, 
being absolutely adorably funny and then see him in this and I'm like whoa hold on a minute this guy can act and I just felt really like the, the discrepancy between like kind hearts and coronets and a film like the bridge on the river choir just felt like so interesting a performer I mean maybe that's it for me then like because my experience I think with Bridge Over the Rukwai and Lawrence of Arabia, both films I have this association with, with my uh, with my great nan um, passed away you know a few years ago, and she you know she had this CRT television that was probably like what fifteen inches across or something, and she sit in her front room and she used to be sat there on a, on a Sunday and you know I used to go around there and, and see her and she'd be sat there with a blanket knitting. And I remember watching and having Lawrence of Arabia on and her talking about how great Peter O'Toole is and then Claude Rains and Alec Guinness and and I know, think and that I was a bit her, cringe I'm, because Alec Guinness plays blackface in that and I, that was a bit off-putting for it, me. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it does. <laughs> it does a bit. So that's but, why I was a bit like, oh, maybe not. Um, but yeah, and in this, yeah, I mean, it's just and, like he's just being very good yeah no I'm not you know Alex Guinness's performance is is incredible in this um yeah it is it is it is incredible um yeah no I I yeah it is it is it is it is a is a a bloody fucking good film (laughs) um it is I'm not disputing that I just for for me on a personal level his the film that came out five years later for me is the superior work and you know, I couldn't help but see similarities between the two, um, and seeing that there was a kind of like this continuation on of themes and style that kind of went a little bit further. Yeah. You know, for me, this 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 it, it it does it does come and kind of cross as as a kind of like a conventional not a conventional war movie, but it's kind of got this. I don't know, like. You know, men on a mission kind of thing, which yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't. Not, I'm not saying I don't like those kind of films. I just, when it comes to World War Two films, you know, the the kind of films that my granddad would watch. Um, you know. Um, but yeah, hmm. yeah. Any other notes? No, no. I mean, I, I had the, I had the, the whistling stuck in my head for a good couple of days afterwards. <laughs> um. <laughs> It was funny because after watching this movie, I went home and my mom has that as her ringtone on her phone. Um, <laughs> and I don't know why, because she's not seen the movie, but it was just like, why do you, ha- why do you have that? Oh, because it's nice and cheerful. I'm like, you have no idea what it means. She's like, I know, but it's just nice and cheerful. It's a cute, cheerful tune, whistling tune. And I'm like, fine. Okay. Um, I tried to get her to watch it, but she was like, no. Two and a half, two and forty, two and a half hours and forty minutes. That's not gonna happen. Yeah. But yeah, cool. So a few things about the production. It was huge production, um, as you can imagine. Um, produced by Sam Spiegel, and he's done stuff like Lawrence of Arabia, um, on the waterfront, The African Queen. Um, suddenly last summer it's a great film as well um, it, the movie was loosely based on a true World War II incident 
and the real life character of Philip Tuzi. So in charge of he was in charge of um, his men from late 1942 through May 1943, when they were ordered to build two two bridges in in Burma on, on the River Kwai. So there was one of steel and one of wood to help move Japanese supplies and troops from Bangkok to Rangoon. And the the bridge took eight months to build rather than two months that um, like in the film. And the bridges were actually used for two years before they were destroyed. Tuzi's memories were compiled into a 1991 book by Peter Davis titled The Man Behind the Bridge. And the actual this film is based on a, another book by a French man called Pierre Boulle and he basically compiled stories because he was basically um, he was a POW himself and he was just basically telling stories from from his own um, ex experiences. It was interesting that you picked up on like the sort of stock action stories with um, William Holden because that was kind of Sham Spiegel's idea um, because David Lynn wanted to focus more on the conflict between Saito and, and Nicholson whereas Sham Spiegel the producer was like well we want to have an action film we want to have Americans at the forefront and we want to do this and that do that which is why like the, the, the stories with the escape and everything else was was thrown in there so Colonel Saito was inspired by Major Risaburo Saito, who, unlike the character portrayed, was to be was said to, to be more re reasonable and humane of all the Japanese officers. And he was uh, willing to negotiate with the POWs in return for the labor that they were given. And they, Saito and um, Tuzi, which is basically Nicholson, they were they were very very um they became friends really um and Tuzi spoke up for Saito at the war crimes tribunal after the war um and he saved him from from being executed and then 10 years after Tuzi's death in 1975 Saito made a pilgrimage to England to visit his grave so that was quite a thing right yeah um so yeah i think that the the camp rivalry between Nicholson and Saito was kind of why David Lynn wanted to make the movie in the first place. Um, because I've read that early scripts featured elaborate action scenes like elephant stampedes, army ant attack, and even a submarine battle. And Lynn was like, no, we're not doing that. Um, and I wanted to talk to take this moment to talk a bit about um, the guy portraying Saito. And it made me think a bit more about, I think there should be a biopic on his life. And um, I forgot his name, the Asian guy who was in, in the Mouth of Love, Tony... Tony Leung. Tony Leung, yeah. Tony Leung. Um, he should play him. <laughs> because um, this guy's, what was his name? I'm going to butcher his name. Sesue Hayakawa. Sesue Hayakawa, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And I found out that he was, he used to be a heartthrob in, in the silent era, in Hollywood. Huh. So it was, it was absolutely insane. So bear with me. 
So basically, he made in 1915 he made a film um, directed by Cecil B. DeMille, um, and it's a film called, was labeled like sexploitation kind of thing, called The Cheat, and he basically became a superstar after that. In the movie, he plays an ivory merchant who has an affair with a Caucasian woman. So, um, and he brands her as a symbol of her submission to the passion that they have. Um, and I think he, yeah, um, and it was made by famous players, Lasky, um, late to Paramount. And it was a blockbuster and he basically became a heartthrob overnight. Um, regardless of, 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 um, the fact that he was Asian and because there were the few people who were outraged by the fact that he was an Asian man making love to a Caucasian woman on screen um, that didn't matter for a while however um, after the first war because there were so many refugees and and somehow the there was um, less work for like Caucasian he was kind of fell out of favor with, with with the audiences which is a bit sad um and he tried to he tried to make a few comebacks and he tried to act in in um talkies in uh, 1931 but because of his accent he was still not great and he considered bridge on the river quite to be the best um film he ever made and he, he earned a best supporting oscar nomination and the film won seven Oscars. Best Picture, Best Actor and Leading Role, Best Director for David Lean, Best Writing, uh, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Scoring. And the only one that didn't get an Oscar was Cesare. Um, he was nominated, but he didn't win. So, uh, yeah. And to, to, to think that Alec Guinness didn't really want to do um Nicholson. He didn't want to portray Nicholson. Oh, yeah, he was he he took a lot of convincing because he didn't think that he would he didn't think he was quite sympathetic and he was kind of worried that because he's been on a roll with lots of comedies in the fifties mm. with for Ealing, he, he felt like it just didn't gel with him. He was just what um he yeah he was a bit reluctant and then whilst on the set whilst filming he was still a bit stressed out he didn't know if he was doing okay and then um his family was on set with him um in the jungle of Ceylon and he kept asking David Lean if he was doing okay if if the film was okay and David Lynn was like, okay, let's watch The Rushes together. So he, they went and watched The Rushes together uh, with his family, with um, Guinness's family. And they watched The Rushes and they went home. They went to their tent or whatever they were saying. And later that night, Guinness sent a note to David Lynn saying, I think this is the best work I've ever done. I can't believe it. And it was just very, very humbled. And of course, he won the Oscar. I think it got. Didn't it get named like one of the greatest British films of all time as well? And probably sure it's, it's yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the thing I think because I've rewatched it for for the podcast the other day, and what strikes me uh, to continue the comparison with Lawrence of Arabia, what strikes me is that 
I don't see it as being so long. It just felt like everything was kind of falling into. I was felt I was so engaged in the story that it didn't like two and a half hours just went by. I didn't really feel like I was dragging. Um, but that's just me. I just yeah. But I mean, um, we 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 spoke about this, and when we talked about brief encounter, I think you you said that you know Doctor Shivago that feels like six hours long, and yeah, you know that film is two hundred minutes, and I think Lawrence of Arabia is two twenty, I think. Um, yeah, two twenty. I don't know. It's, so it's, Lawrence of Arabia is actually shorter than Bridge on the River Kwai. No, to, no. I mean, as in two hundred and twenty minutes. Oh, oh! I thought two hours twenty. <laughs> no, oh, no. Um, okay, yeah. no. I was wondering, like, no, that can't be right. No, it's a full hour longer than Bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah, it felt you like need, five hours longer. You, you you need like a Sunday afternoon to kind of sit down and watch it. <laughs> I think I think what's kind of striking about you know Bridge on the River Kwai, Launch of Arabia. And the next film, if if we're okay to segue, is that yes, I think they, it's, it's they time. feel they do feel like films that you would get on ITV two, and you would sit and watch them on a bank holiday, uh, or, yeah. you know, on a lazy Sunday afternoon in you know. Funnily enough, <laughs> when I the one time I watched um, Lawrence of Arabia, and I think I have the DVD to attest to it, um was on a Sunday afternoon and I think I fell asleep halfway through so I had to pull, rewind it. <laughs> but I did watch it and I'm going to have to watch it again just to refresh my memory and see if it's as good or better than Bridge on the River Kwai. Get, get the Should we move on to... Blu-ray's incredible. Yes, let's go yeah. to the other one. <laughs> I think, um, so... yeah, I think it's time. So the next film is uh, 1981 film Escape to Victory from uh, director John Huston. Uh, yes, that John Huston. Um, uh, so... I have no words. <laughs> so, a uh, brief synopsis. As allied POWs prepare for a soccer game against the German national team to be played in Nazi-occupied Paris, the French-resistant British officers are making plans for the team's escape. Um, this film stars Sylvester Stallone, Michael Caine, Max von Sydow, Pele, Bobby Moore, Ozzy Ardias, <laughs> Mike Summerby, uh, and um, quite a lot of the 1980 Ipswich uh, UEFA winning UEFA Cup winning squad. So, um, Danny, th- this episode will probably perhaps be better known as the, the the one where Nick hijacked the podcast so he could talk about football. Um, at what point did you realise that that was going to be the case, and did you enjoy the movie? Um, I did enjoy the movie. Um, I was a bit scared when I realised that there was going to be a film about football. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I think first five minutes I've kind of clocked it that it was going to be a because you have escaped to victory in the title and and I'm like, hang on a minute, and. Then you have the football player who's was a, a, a football star and he's recognized by the um by the major whatever his name was Max Mancedo. and you think oh god so here we go so he was a player he likes football they're gonna make them play together 
and um yeah it was funny it was quite funny uh i loved sylvester stallone i think he was just so energetic and just so like full-hearted like embracing the whole uh, scenario it was just very very in the moment i think he was just so in there he was just like what can i do let me play let me play uh what do you mean i have to go back shit i have to go back i've escaped and i have to go back <laughs> and i i could see that he he had to go back so but i i don't know i felt really f i was laughing when when they were just about to escape and they decide to go and play the other half that was quite ridiculous i thought that was quite silly very very silly um but then you have to think is you have pele who's arguably the best football player of all time yeah <laughs> you can argue you can argue uh, I, I mean i know i've i mean i grew up watch well watching football because back in Back in the 90s and late, early noughties, Romania used to have some sort of half-assed football team. Now they don't have anything. Um, so we kind of watched the World Cup and Euro um, Championship and all that. And I remember my granddad telling me, oh yeah, Pele was, was great. He was one of the best players of all time. Um, up there with Maradona. Maradona? Maradona. Maradona and um yeah so it was considered to be like one of um like marvelous and you hadn't seen by the time that they about ready to escape you hadn't seen him play and you hadn't seen him do what he can do so I realized that they had to go back at least for that shot that even Max Monsetto has to applaud and that looked really silly it looked like the the slow motion scenes were very very acrobatics should i say um i mean yeah uh, there was a lot of suspension of disbelief scenes that i thought were yeah verging on absurd um and then at the end when they well should i say it they escaped to victory <laughs> it seems that nobody got the memo that this was supposed to be a 1940s film well a film set in the 1940s and everyone was dressed in 1980s clothes <laughs> um so yeah that was like okay so the, the extras didn't get the memo that were, they were supposed to be you know it's a period film it's not a, a contemporary film but it felt contemporary from the from the get-go i mean the cinematography was a bit off i felt um and i kept trying to remind myself that this is a film made by john houston the guy who did maltese falcon um, but well, what can I say? It was, it was enjoyable. It was quite enjoyable. I, I thought I wouldn't enjoy myself as much as I did, but I did. Um, and yeah, Sylvester Stallone was great. At the end when he, when that girl takes him and I was, I was thinking, oh, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you managed to sneak this one past me. Um. So well done. It was okay. Uh, this, this, this. I mean, so this is a larger point in the fact that football films or films about football or have football in them 
99% of them are shit. Um, they they don't... Ca- I mean, you've got... There's a Michael Sheen film, which is about Nigel Clough. Um, and not Nigel Clough. Oh, God. Clough. Uh, Brian Clough. Ooh. Nigel Clough is his son. Brian Clough, the great manager, Brian Clough. Um, called The Damn United, which is which is very, very good. But that film isn't really necessarily about football. It's about Brian Clough as a person and kind of like the politics around what was going on back then when he was manager of Leeds. Um, whereas this film is perhaps... Was that the scene that you sent me the link to? No, no, no. I'm going to get onto that. So I've sent, I sent Danny um, to YouTube links to kind of a larger point as to why football doesn't really necessarily work on the screen and the only times where it should really work on the screen so related to the film the film finished this film finishes with Professor Stallone saving the climatic penalty kick and everyone crowding on the pitch and celebrating as a football man I'm out, I was out kind of laughing my ass off because I was thinking Hang on a minute. There's still minutes to play. The ball is still in play. You could, you know, go on and and score the climactic goal. And then it got me thinking about the uh, Watford-Leicester playoff semi-final second leg, which I sent Danny a link to. Um, And I I had questions about that because I thought there were still minutes to play. No one actually blew... The the referee didn't blow the whistle. He didn't blow the whistle, though. But everyone kind of went, fuck this. Yeah, so the... Because the guy um, who scored the goal within 10 seconds of having saved, his team having saved the penalty, he went into the crowds. Yeah, so if you look at the clock, the difference between what happened in that Watford-Leicester game, what happened in this, in the in the fictional game that happened in Escape to Victory. So what happened was Anthony Notcart went down in the box. Uh, he, he blatantly dived. Um, in the 96th minute, bearing in mind this is the 6th minute of overtime of 4 added minutes, so they've already played an extra 2 minutes over Um, Leicester given a penalty with seconds to go like literally this was going to be the last kick of the game Um, if it went in that was it because you know time was played Um, Almunia saves the penalty twice he saves it on the rebound and then the ball is still in play, the ball gets kicked upfield Watford are on the counter-attack. The referee has an obligation to allow the game to play on. Watford are on the counter-attack. The ball comes across, head down. Troy Deeney smashes it into the goal, and that's it. Basically, the ball ed- en- en- exited play, right, if that makes any sense. The, the ball exited was, was out of play, so that was it. The referee could do the restart and blow the whistle, but the, the game was pretty much over at that point. That's hence why Troy Deeney went into the crowd and celebrated. Okay. And so that's that's kind of the fundamentals of, of the get of, of that of showing you that clip, but also it's conveying the emotional emotion behind football, and what this film does quite well, which I kind of it kind of was really quite cool to see on a rewatch, was it kind of almost conveys that, you know feeling of watching something amazing happen on the football field you know Pele scoring the overhead kick Ozzy Ardias with the the audacious flick up um and then Max von Sindow you know clapping after the you know he's the only German clapping you know because he appreciates 
football as a sport. Art you know, history. That was very. That was actually very good. Yeah. Um, it's very very difficult to convey that on the screen because you can't manufacture that. Football is spontaneous. Football is, you know, to quote uh, that um. To quote a character from the TV series Ted Lasso, football is life. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I'm never gonna watch Ted Lasso. No, no, no <laughs> not 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 saying not. I mean, you should, but um, you know, it doesn't matter. But the the point I'm trying to make is there is a spontaneity behind watching football play out on the football field. Now, the other clip I got Danny to watch was from Mike Bassett, England manager, which is a feature length fe- uh, film starring Ricky Tomlinson. Um, where he plays <laughs> Mike Bassett, who is a not a very good manager, um, a bit of a shit husband. Um, you know, he's kind of like a, a, a one of the lads kind of thing. You know, gets drunk and dances on top of a bar. You know, that kind of thing. And he 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 gets given the England job because no one else can do it. It's this fictional story. And the clip that I got Danny to watch was where he's basically been caught out by the press. Um, He got drunk and, you know, uh, got caught drinking and dancing and making a fool of himself, national embarrassment, and that would be grounds to be sacked and what have you. And in this news conference, he is basically grilled by the press as to quit. You know, they're telling him to quit. And he sits there and he takes this abuse from the press and then he reads off, off the top of his head, Rudyard Kipling's If... And okay. um, that's what that clip is. He's re- basically reciting the the poem "If" by Rudyard Kipling, and it captures that moment. Captures the feeling around football, as in where your backs are against the wall, where you know you are. You allow yourself sixty sixty seconds to do something magical to prove the doubters wrong. And then he types up and he says, England are going to be playing 4-4 fucking 2. And then he, he walks out of the press conference. Um, that's when... That's the dramatic side of football where it works in terms of on the on the screen. Because you're allowing poetry. You're allowing football and... The... I didn't get that. No? No. No? What, what did you get? I didn't understand exactly what the poem was. It, it did sound like a Roger Kipling... But I'm not a big fan of Kipling, so it just what fan it will. I didn't because it was that so out of context. I didn't know what to what to believe. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to ask you to sit down and watch Mike Bassett, England manager. I mean, there's some funny bits in it. Thank you. Um, Thank there you. are some funny, funny bits in it. There's a there's a great scene in in the dressing room at halftime against Mexico, where he's basically he's, he's given them the hairdryer, shouting, effing, and blinding. Um, saying we're two now, two nil down to the fucking Mexicans, and then it cuts to black, and then it cuts to the fans at the full time. This is England lose four nil. <laughs> um, the <laughs> escape to victory for me as as a football man, a football person, like I was really kind of, I was really caught up in in the game as it, it was going on. Um, Pele uh, choreographed the football sequences. Uh, behind the scenes, John Houston oh. kind of wanting to wanted to um, he he struggled filming football as as the game as it was going on, and basically Bobby Moore and Pele and and you know a f- few other football players kind of had to basically tell him, well, don't worry about it. Like 
you point the camera, we'll do everything else. Um, uh, on top of that, Sylvester Stallone, the American that he is, wanted to score the winning goal. Oh, God, please don't tell me he did that. No, so he insisted he... that he wanted to score the winning goal without kind of grasping the concept that his player was a goalkeeper. And this is in the years before Peter Schmeichel. So goalkeepers don't really score goals. And they had to kind of basically sit him down and go, this can't happen. Um, and so that's why that penalty kick he at the end... He didn't understand the rules of football. He didn't, that... no. No, he didn't. Oh. God. He yeah um so he very embarrassing, isn't basically it? was like you know they had to stick in the penalty kick at the end of the save so that he it could placate his ego almost oh god yeah but this is on the back of rocky isn't it this is off the back of the first rocky um yeah so rocky, he, yeah. he he didn't he win an oscar for rocky uh screenwriting yeah yeah, so you can imagine that he was very full of himself. Yeah, I mean this is this is eighties <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh. Michael Caine only agreed to do the do the film so that he could work with Pele. Um, of course. I love, I love Michael Caine. The fact that you know, like he only did Jaws four, so that it will pay for the house <laughs> that he was building. I love Michael Caine. I do love Michael Caine. Um. Some really, really cool behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, so, you know, I mentioned the Ipswich Town squad that won the UEFA Cup in 1980. Basically, what happened, they, you know, they won the UEFA Cup, uh, which is like the second, you know, European, the big European trophy, but it's like the second one. And they were basically asked if they wanted to go and shoot a movie in Hungary as extras, you know, just to go around and, and, and they, you know, some of them said no, some of them were like, yeah, yeah, let's do it, you know, be a laugh, you know, for a few weeks. And they got there and then they were handed scripts and told that they were going to have lines. <laughs> oh, um, wow. So the line, um, the one that was given to, um, I can't remember his name, but he was the, the, the Ipswich Town player who, who was given the line where we could win this you know, he basically sparks <laughs> the whole. You know, we could win this. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was quite funny because they were in the hole, they were in, in uh, like going escaping in the tunnel. Yeah, and it was like, no, oh, hang on a minute, we can we can go back and win this. Like, what? No. Yeah. How yeah. stupid can you be? You're on the way out. You're gonna escape. Yeah. So it's um, it was uh, Osman. He was giving was the line ridiculous. to kind of say that we're gonna, you know gonna do this um there's the uh, another ipswich player um bt uh, kevin bt um who passed you know passed away now he um <laughs> he uh he wrote in his biography that he won a hundred dollars from stallone by beating him at arm wrestling um former scotland really? international uh you know walk says that uh he says beat took him on and did him easy as usual take one take bump he was straight down you wouldn't take the beat on, he would beat anybody. <laughs> and apparently Stallone wasn't particularly happy about that. Um, he, Stallone and Michael Caine, um, well, Michael Caine stayed around quite a bit to hang around with the crowd, uh, hang around with the team and stuff. Like, um, they were, the footballers were kind of nervous about doing all these lines. And Michael Caine just came in and was like, you know, being, oh, yeah, we're right. And, you know, he chatted them, made them laugh. And he was like, right, let's get this in the can, let's do it. Um, kind of, became one of the lads whereas Stallone uh flew off to Paris and London at kind of almost every opportunity 
to you know be a movie right. you know, to to party basically mm. uh, which no, didn't, didn't necessarily go down too well with everybody else um yeah um the penalty kick uh took apparently six takes before he could even get near one um yeah apparently yeah, they were well, the one at the end in. Yeah, they, apparently they were chipping balls in to save them and he kind of didn't know what to do. So um, <laughs> the goalkeeper for Switch kind of gave Stallone some lessons. Um, uh, a quote says, I gave him a lesson at one point. He says, if you pick the ball up and bounce it around like a basketball player, expect him to try and dunk it in the goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, the, 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 I think the film has, uh, you know, it's got probably more. It's got World Cup, England World Cup winning captain. I, I figured Moore. that there might be some people who were professional football players. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, I couldn't recognise anybody. Yeah, so you, you got Bobby Moore, you got Mike Summerby, who played for Manchester City in, you know, the decade previous. Uh, Pele, who at the time was retired. Um, he even, was retired. He was retired. He was like 41 at the time. Um, do you know? I, I, okay. The, the 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 film is it's it's not great. I mean, it's okay. It's it's an okay. It's a good, enjoyable bank holiday watch, in my opinion. Um, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would because I didn't. Um, I just it was quite silly, and when it, once it you stop thinking about it as as. A POW World War Two Nazi film. Yeah, and think about it as a fun giggles film about football. Then you just take the pressure off accuracy and all of that, and you just enjoy it. Yeah, I think I think the film. I I was really quite surprised on this 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 watch as well. I the the treatment of the the Eastern Europeans as they they're told. You know that there's clearly. You know, clearly a comment. Yeah, there, there is of, that scene, you know, isn't there? Which is, yeah, it's clearly a comment there about like treating, you know, your your fellow man as though they would be, they should be treated. Uh, Michael Caine yeah. really doing, you know, doing the, you know, good man kind of role. Um, yeah, the the film itself um is based. I don't think it's based on a true story, but. There is, there is. I was a... going to ask about that. So it sounds quite far fetched. So there is, there is a story. story um, there's, there is an actual event that happened in the forties um, called, you know, there's a film called The Death Match, which is a 2012 film, kind of based on the true story, but it's kind of like pro-Russian propaganda. The actual story um, goes that uh, at the time there were in, in the, you know, in the forties there were these Ukrainian players. Um, uh, you know who um, formed together to form this start this team called FC Start, uh, a team that comprised of Kiev's two competing teams, Dynamo and Lok- Lokomotiv. Um, yeah. At the time, they beat several German military teams and kind of became local oh. heroes for you know resisting I know, was German just, occupation. I was just very. It was there was a few there were a few scenes that I just felt really really uncomfortable watching because I know some of the rules of football and the the referee was such a douchebag. Yeah, so that, like, that that's people kind of were being like beaten up and punched in the stomach, and yeah. he was like, "Yeah, just move moving right along, nothing to see here." And I'm like, "Oh my god, panel, uh, foul!" 
And yeah, it was it was kind of funny how the um, radio um, commentator was was doing the like propaganda yeah. stuff. It's like, oh yeah, everyone's going crazy. The Germans are being very strong and 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 powerful, and they were like, they haven't scored a goal in this last forty five minutes, and they're being like punnelled. And oh, they're quite strong and they're very good. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It's it's. So the on the on the Bleacher Report, which I'll link to in the show notes, there's a kind of like this this talk about the film and then the, the true story behind it. So, like I said, you know they played several matches against these German teams, uh, winning them all convincingly. One game finishing eleven nil. Uh, this kind of you know repeatedly debunking the Aryans uh, Aryan superiority theory. Um, and there was a there was a game there was an exhibition high profile exhibition game against this German team called Flakev which are the, the best German players. Um, the game was uh, was on, but the, the Nazis kind of obviously appointed one of their goons as referee uh, and mm. intimated that there would be severe repercussions should Stark even contemplate the audacity of winning. Um, wow. Naturally, Stark defiantly won 5-3, the final indignity for the Nazis coming when defender Alexei Kamenko rounded the German goalkeeper in the dying seconds and instead of rolling the ball into the net for a sixth goal, he disdainfully kicked it back up the pitch. A week later, wow. after Stark had won another match 8-0, the team was rounded up and sent to Soret's labour camp. Five of the team were tortured, then shot. This truish story, the exact remains remain disputed, were in turn the inspiration for the 1961 Hungarian movie The Last Goal. Um, so yeah, the the you know there is a a true story behind you know this movie, um, and I I think I think you know that's that's kind of the original of Require isn't necessarily based on a true story, but it's based on you know there are true events that like that in terms of you know Eng- you know British POWs forced to to build bridges and and railways. The difference there is that you know people you know people who who served on these camps repeatedly came out and said that in no way would they help the japanese they would sabotage as often as they could escape to victory sorry escape to victory you know yes okay is a bit far-fetched you know that this game would go on kind of thing but it actually happened something like that actually happened um but it's got a darker darker ending a much much darker ending to it um yeah yeah i i I gotta say i was really kind of taken with escape to victory on this viewing and um found myself enjoying it a lot more than i thought i was going to (laughs) because when i when i said when i suggested it i was like oh god i have to rewatch escape to victory because i remember watching it you know when i was a bit younger and thinking oh this is a bit shit but now kind of a bit older i've kind of appreciated it for what it is kind of thing um so basically what you're saying is that you made me watch a film that you didn't really like just because it was a football film i thought it would be a laugh to be honest um and i was right (laughs) yeah yeah i guess um because uh, you know i'm never ever going to get you to watch you know the damn united or Mike Bassett. I've the seen the poster um, at a bus stop once. Yeah, it's got Michael Sheen yeah. on it. Yeah, I remember seeing the poster with Michael Sheen on it and I was thinking, no, I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Michael Sheen though. I think he's amazing. 
Brian Clough was he was he was an absolute uh, as a as a manager. I mean, to kind of round round off, there was this there was this story that um, he was having an argument with somebody. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to get this this story, trying to get the story correctly. Um, yeah, no, I, I can't find it. But the basically the story goes is that he he was having a disagreement with one of his players. And um, he was like, right, yeah, I'll let him. I'll let you know. I'll have a, we'll have a disagreement. We'll have an argument. You'll, you'll we'll talk it out, and um, we'll both decide that uh, I was right in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cluffy, Cluffy was was a was an excellent manager, and and you know, uh, yeah, I, football and football and movies don't don't go well. Because it doesn't doesn't no. quite work. Bend it like Beckham kind of works, but there's you know a, a deep there's kind Still. of something else going on there. Um, there are the goal movies which are awful in every single way. Um, there is the movie about Set Blatter and the formation of FIFA, which stars Tim Roth as uh, Set Blatter, which is one of the worst pieces of shit you're ever gonna see. What was that one with? Um, I think I saw a trailer of. With Eric Cantona. Eric Cantona. Uh, looking for Eric. That's um, Mike Lee. Ken Loach? No, Ken Loach. Ken Loach. Um, really? Called Looking for Eric, yeah. Uh, Is it good? I've not seen it. Uh, I've not seen it. I've heard good things. Uh, it's not a football what? movie. Uh, it's not a traditional football movie. It has Eric Cantona kind of playing a fictional version of himself. Um, okay. Doesn't Kung Fu any Crystal Palace fans, but, you know, it's Eric Cantona. Anyway, so I, I've Danny. Danny said to me, "I've got to keep the the, the football down to sixty percent," and I think I've done that. <laughs> um, I could go on. Um, my fa- my favorite football team, for example, is Swindon Town. That's the team I support since I was about six, and I have I, there are at least two connections to Swindon Town in Escape to Victory. But I'm not going to bore you with those. Please um, don't. Yeah, no, that's fine. We, we we can finish up. We can finish up. I kept my admiration channel on Guinness for to a minimum. You can do this. No, I, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. It, it, the only chance I'm ever going to talk about form, uh, football. Um, one day I'll be able to get Formula One onto the podcast, but we'll we'll, we'll figure that out one day. Nah, nah. <laughs> oh, maybe. I mean, you've seen Rush. I've seen Rush. I liked Rush. I mean, I would if if we were to do something along the lines of, you know, great you know like a great documentary from you know the classic you know classic era or something then i would say no. we'll do that and then we'll do do uh, senna which is a, an amazing movie um which i've not seen I've i reckon i about it. i really recommend senna it's not just a formula one movie it's it's something else okay but anyway um yeah maybe we'll we'll talk about it i'm well, not gonna say yes straight away anymore <laughs> <laughs> what did it so uh so yeah 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 cool so um next week what's on next week is our season finale uh season two <gasps> finale i was i was wondering if that might be the case yeah so um next week is our last episode for for a bit um i think you know me and danny have spoken that we're, we're gonna take a, a few weeks off um we're gonna do don't worry though um after next week we will come back and do a halloween episode we're just kind of finalizing what the films are going to be um we are going to do film noir november november um because there's no way we're not going to do that and then we're going to take december off and then we're going to return in january 
So um, that season two next week is going to finish up with uh, rom- romantic comedies. Uh, My Man Godfrey from 1936, directed by Gregory LaCava, uh, starring William Powell and Carol Lombard. Oh my god, I completely forgot I had that on. <laughs> <laughs> you are going to love this film. Yeah, I, I'm. And looking, if you I'm, don't, there's no podcast. No, I, I'm <laughs> looking forward to that. And um, we're partnering with uh, a very, very recent film. Actually, it only came out on, um, like last year, year before last year. Actually, uh, is Palm Springs from 2020, directed by Max uh, Max ba- uh, Barbacow, um, starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milotti. Yeah, um, which is a romantic comedy. I mean, if, if it, you know, it's it's. It's it's very good. It's on Amazon Prime, so yeah, get and watch it. And yeah, Man and Godfrey, uh, go and watch that as well. So that's next week. That's also on Amazon Prime, by the way. Okay, right. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So cool. um, yeah, that's next week. Uh, with all that in mind, um, Danny, uh, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Keena Joan, and my website is not available at the moment. <laughs> Still under construction. <laughs> Yes, I'll get around to it. I was supposed to do it this weekend, but I didn't. Sorry. It'll be ready for season three. Um, <laughs> um yeah, it has to be. <laughs> so, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler. My website is superatomavision.com. I uh, haven't written anything on there for a while. Still kind of working over some things. And, um, yeah, our Twitter podcast Twitter is at Keenatomic. And um, our website, uh, Gmail is keenatomic.gmail.com. Pop us a, an email on there. Let us know what your favourite wartime movie is. Uh, what you think about footballer movies. What you think about football. Is it just a game for prima donnas? Or is it beautiful? Yes, it's a game for prima donnas. As, as the great Bill Shankly once said, um, football, it, they say that football is a matter of life and death. I can assure you it's much more serious than that. Um, yeah, so okay. that, that, I'm, I'm just going to end it there. I wanted to get that quote in there somewhere because it's one of my favourites. Um, so yeah, with all that in mind, it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. And a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me.